0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Ann Childers, an Air Force veteran, is a child and adult trained psychiatric physician with a special interest in regaining the physical and mental health of children, adolescents, and adults. Also known as Dr. Anne, she helps her patients through standard psychiatric care integrated with principles of nutrition and sleep. Dr. Childers published a, no- a number of textbook chapters, among them, Nutritional Aspects of Psychiatry for Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, The Essentials. As a member of the American Psychiatric Association, the American Medical Association, the Nutrition and Metabolism Society, Obesity Medicine Association, and fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, Dr. Childers welcomes those who desire an integrative approach to psychiatric care, sleep, and metabolism management. Dr. Anne, it's such an honor to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Oh, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Casey. Absolutely. It's just an honor to have you. How many lives have you lived? <laughs> <laughs> Too nervous to count. Oh, my goodness.
1: I started out in bookkeeping and uh, was a lousy bookkeeper, got fired there. lost uh, several jobs before I finally decided to go to uh, college. I thought maybe college will save me. Um, I was just not very good. There's some things I'm really good at and some things I'm not. And I found out early what I wasn't good at. Uh, I became a dog trainer, was a dog trainer for 14 years and I had a radio show, a local radio show in Portland, Oregon on KXL called Bed Projects for about five years um let's see and we were seeing at 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 our peak we were seeing 200 to 300 dogs a week in five facilities yeah so it so it was kind of quite the operation in beaverton oregon and then uh but also in the portland metro and then i learned a lot about behavior there and decided that i wanted to do child and adolescent psychiatry which sounds like a big leap but but i felt like i was really primed for it because i'd been working with dog parents and dogs. And the thing I noticed in dog training is how the well-nourished dogs were ready to learn.
0: Yeah. That, they were
1: fantastic. That's yeah.
0: so interesting. You talk about, um, I've heard you talk about like their coats and their noses and all kinds of stuff. That's oh, yeah. so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Wow. And
1: I thought, why don't we look at people that way? And I think we used to probably in the early 1900s when we didn't have many ways of diagnosing people. We didn't have the volume of scientific knowledge that we have now. People would look at the tongue. They'd look at the hair. they look at the nails, all these things, things that we look at in dogs now, especially show dogs. But um, I think we should all be show people. I think we should like uh, get ourselves in top shape so that we actually feel good and look good. And I found that nutrition made a huge difference uh, in my life, as well as in the lives of my uh, canine friends. And then I went to uh, m- to medical school, realized pretty quick that I wasn't gonna be able to pay for it, so joined the Air Force. And uh, that turned out to be a good move for me. Uh, I got training there, I went on to do a fellowship at Tripler Army Medical Center uh, under uh, Dr. Lee, who was our fellowship director. And then uh, shipped out from there to Germany, where I spent a few years and where my health totally deteriorated. Um, And then after I became a civilian, I went on this journey to try to figure out what had happened and how I could improve my health. And, uh, that's, that's what started this whole thing.
0: Well, my notes here say that you were also, um, in the rodeo as a bull rider. It says you have been to Mars oh. three times. Um, <laughs> what am I missing? What else have you done?
1: Those, those were mild exaggeration.
0: <laughs> uh, well, this is great. I'm excited to talk to you about all of that. If we get to talk about meat and dogs and sleep, those are like three of my favorite things. So that's great. Before we leave the dog section, I, I found this really interesting. I, I learned this a few years ago and I want to, I want to make sure I'm correct on this. It seems like, you know, since we kind of evolved from, you know, maybe chimps or that, that family that, that, we would have a similar digestive system to a lot of, a lot of them. And we really kind of don't. And it turns out that our digestive system is the most similar to a dog's. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yes, in many ways, and actually even more on the facultative scavenger line. Let me, uh, back up. So although we don't have direct descendants to the these primates, the great apes, uh, we do share a lot of our DNA with them, up to 97%, perhaps, in chimpanzee. But if you look at the gut, if you look at basically the relative gut volume, which is the amount of space any organ takes up in the abdominal cavity, which is below your lungs and above your pelvic bones, uh, then you see that... For us and our nearest uh, DNA relatives, uh, stomach is probably about takes up about the same amount of room. But if you look at the small intestine, the human being has a much larger volume of small intestine than the great apes. And that is where we actually absorb most of our food. So, the foods we were eating, you know, way back maybe 20,000 years ago, were easily absorbed in the small intestine and they were low residue foods, not high uh, fiber foods. And then, among the great apes, their digestion takes place in a way of fermentation. They actually, their gut microbiome actually has all types of single-celled organisms that can break down cellulose. And humans can't, we just can't do it. In fact, we can't do it any better than a dog or cat. And so much of their digestion takes place way back in the colon. So they have lots of colon compared to us. We just don't have as much. And so um, so why are we able to eat plants? How can we have a plant-based diet? Because we've learned how to break down the cellulose Outside of the body, because we can't do it in our bodies. We've learned how to cook it. We puree it. We do all kinds of things with vegetables that pre digest them before we get them. Mm. And interestingly enough, dogs do well with that too. They don't do, excuse me, they don't do well with raw vegetables, just like we don't, but they do very well with cooked vegetables, which is why we can actually feed them that. They they followed us through. agriculture which started probably about 20,000 years ago um and so made some of the same adaptations that we did to agriculture so that they could eat a lot of the same foods but at base they're carnivores and i would say and a lot of anthropologists agree with me that humans are also carnivores but what we've done is we've learned to adapt plants to ourselves so if you go far north into the North Pole. What you'll see is uh, tribes of people and clans and small groups, family groups who are totally carnivorous. But if you go toward the uh, equator, you find more inclusion of plants, but these plants are included very carefully. Uh, For example, cassava is poisonous unless it's properly prepared. Um, It turns out beans, uh, a lot of the beans that we uh, take for granted in the human diet, especially in the modern diet, also need to be prepared properly. They have to be soaked or sprouted. Um, These sorts of things actually increase the nutrition of these of these plants and also eliminate a lot of the toxins. Uh, People don't think about toxins like in spinach, for example, people It's really hard to get the calcium and iron out of spinach that it's holding. It holds back with what are called anti-nutrients. But if it's properly prepared and things like vinegar are added, or butter we get actually more out of it so so we are not at base plant eaters we really have to prepare them correctly and dress them up if you look up in the internet look for natural toxins in food by the world health organization and you can learn more about how to prepare plants so that they can do you more good wow
0: I love this concept so very much. I mean, Sally Norton made the point when we talked to her that, like, we're so entitled as humans. We just think that everything is around for us to just take, you know, and ship apples around the globe 365 days out of year so we can just always have them. And that's not why apples are actually here. And and Bill Schindler kind of said the same thing. Like, these foods... All have some level of toxicity, some more than others, but there are ways that we have found as humans to thrive by cooking food. And that's where the, the work of like Richard Rangman comes in, like catching mm-hmm. fire, the concept of like it, it was actually cooking our foods that made our brains grow to be as big as they are now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's really interesting when you watch, uh, uh, what should I say, indigenous people like in Australia. Uh, One of the things I noticed is the reason that they would like throw maybe uh, a wallaby or kangaroo on the fire was mostly to get the skin off quickly. They weren't that interested in cooking it completely, except in modern times when we have more diseases. But plants absolutely had to hit the fire or had to be prepared in some way. For example, fermentation. Pickles are fermented. Well, remember I said that the great apes ferment plants in their gut yes they're doing inside what we do outside in jar Mm. and actually that's the best way to get the most out of a plant is to pickle it so your sauerkraut your pickles your pickled beets all of those are beautifully broken down and the sugars have been reduced in them because a lot of the single-celled organisms have eaten it
0: up wow so interesting. I love that. I would love to go back to your story um to just discuss like you you mentioned your health going downhill. What what exactly was going on with you and what did you learn along the way and what were some of the turning points?
1: Well, well, um in medical school I learned that we should all eat a low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet. And so I really took that to heart. In fact, I tend to do everything big. <laughs> so, I did it big. <laughs> I, I had virtually no fats in my diet. And I didn't realize the price I was starting to pay. And then when I got into the Air Force, uh, sometime later in my Air Force uh, career, which was about eight and a half years long, um, I started feeling the effects of having eaten this way. And it got to the point where I craved sugar like a, a mad woman. It was just nuts. Uh, in fact, it was about all I could keep on my stomach because by this time my stomach was pretty wrecked. Um, what I didn't know is I have a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos. Um, it's a hyper joint hypermobility. Disorder, And you can see I can really, really, really bend my finger here. Right. Uh, there are a lot of people in your audience who have this and probably don't know they have it or they have some kind of joint hypermobility spectrum. And what I've read since is that if you have this, you especially need high quality nutrition, no bite wasted. And here I was wasting my bites on Easter candy and Christmas candy, and whatever I could get my hands on that was quick energy. Um, and I wasn't sleeping and my bones were pretty soon. Uh, osteoporosis at age 45 is no joke. Wow. And it was here. Um, what else? Um, my teeth started moving around. Uh, and i was told i'd probably lose my lower some of my lower teeth because of the hypermobility of those teeth and that was from malnutrition and i was grinding my teeth and i as a civilian i started getting weaker I was spending evenings in bed weekends in bed i do not do that anymore i can't even imagine it now but um i think it was and i was start had migraine headaches horrible migraines. Uh, My last one was in 2004. Uh, Anyway, so, and that was about the time I had actually started this journey. And I started it with uh, Weston A. Price Foundation. Mm -hmm. And, And while I can't say I agree with everything they do, they are so solid on nutrition and proper preparation of plants. And some of these things, they have done a world of good. Uh, for nutrition in America, and I'm grateful to them. Uh, So basically, they got the fats back in my diet. And I started actually going to farms and getting fresh milk right from the cow. And uh, it was just loaded with cream. These were big Jersey cows. These are the cheese cows, right? Cheese cows are great. Anyway, and they're gorgeous. Anyway, so tasty, tasty milk. And the cream would come to the top, and it'd be about this much out of a mason jar, you know, and then I pour some of that in my coffee and I put it everywhere and I started feeling better. It was crazy how much better I, I felt. And then I started fermenting it. Remember that thing, ferment? And that draws down on the carbohydrates in the milk and it actually increases the nutri- the available nutrition. It made it easy for me to digest. And I to this day, I still make my own kefir. Um, let's see, what else? Meat. They taught me not to be afraid of meat. Meat, fish, eggs, poultry, all with their fats. And so I learned about that. And then later I learned about sourcing the meat so that I would have the balance of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids that would prevent me from experiencing inflammation, which I had in uh, truckloads of information, lots of chronic pain. Uh, And then the next thing that happened is I read Gary Taubes and Gary Taubes was talking about good calories, bad calories, his book and uh whoa that was such a revelation and so i started uh keto probably in about december of 2006 and was full in probably in january of 2007 and uh i have to say getting younger when you're in your 50s and feeling younger and looking younger <laughs> when you're in your 50s is really You don't forget these things. And to this day, I'm I'm still keto. So um, my my brain cleared up. I I lost the brain fog. I had more energy. I no longer longer spent my evenings in bed. I was even afraid that my medical director would figure out how sick I was and fire me. I mean, you know, this was awful. And my bones actually recovered quite a bit, probably from all the calcium I was getting from all the dairy. and the flavor profiles of my diet skyrocketed. There was nothing that I wanted more than the flavors in my meals. And uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed savory. I even got myself, and my sister was shocked when she heard this, I actually got myself used to eating liver. And because uh, liver was considered to be an, a very important food Um Historically, and Weston A Price Foundation made a point of that. So I learned, actually learned to like it and found myself just eating gobs of it. And it's amazing how much better I felt the day after eating liver. I'd always feel like I had more energy. So, um, wow. And it's it's interesting because uh, a lot of the things that are actually good for us, Americans are afraid of or it makes them squeamish. I remember cooking uh, in and i'm dating myself here but in home economics <laughs> we <laughs> learned how to cook sweetbreads which is the thymus gland of of the cow uh, in butter they mm. weren't half fat We even learned how to do brain, although that's a little risky these days. But um, but yeah, so so people, if you look at at movies from the 50s, you see this woman dabbing her mouth with a napkin in a restaurant and she says, oh, the sweet beds were breads were just delightful i'm sure everybody's looking up to see what kind of bread this is but actually it wasn't a bread at all it was actually the innards of the animal and then after that i learned lions actually go for the middle of the animal first and they leave the steaks and things that we usually eat for the other animals to scavenge um yeah it's just really interesting and then i learned other uh other cultures also eat more innards than we do. Anyone who's had pho probably has had a little bit of uh, stomach, right? Um, so so I don't know. I think overall, uh, American diet right now is pretty impoverished, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, but I would say making my diet richer uh, also enriched my life.
0: Wow. That is such an amazing story. I absolutely love that. It is amazing once you kind of discover this, how you, you just, you're right, the flavor profile totally changes. You would never go back. You never go back to some of that crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk to some of my no. clients like this year who tried a piece of Halloween candy and they're like, this is disgusting. I can't believe I used to like this stuff. I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, nice. actually,
1: I actually did that. It's so funny. After being um, uh, keto for probably a year, I wanted, I still thought of candy as a reward. So I rewarded myself with a piece of Halloween candy, just one. And it was, get this, a blue blow pop. I mean, how industrial can you get? Is there anything more unnatural on the face of the earth than a blue blow pop? So I relished that. I chewed on it and I thought I'm rewarding myself. And the next day I woke up with a big cold sore on my lip. And I sugar hangover. And I thought, boy, I'm not doing this again. I've forgotten how bad I felt, right? And uh, also the the cold sore reminded me, because I've had cold sore, so I'm three years old. But cold sore reminded me that sugar actually suppresses your immune system for a good 48 hours after you eat it. And to think that I was eating it every day.
0: Wow. I mean, Yeah. That's crazy. Not worth it for a radioactive blue pot. That's crazy. No. Wow. Industrial sludge. Yeah, gross. When did you decide that you wanted to start sharing the message and start taking some of this into your practice?
1: Um, Gosh, I think pretty soon. Pretty soon, I started trying to convince my patients to lower the amount of carbohydrates in their diet and what was really lovely about that is i was working for uh clackamas county community mental health at the time and i had schizophrenic patients who only taught to- who tolerated certain antipsychotics they actually kept them well but they had huge weight gain from them and so these were what we call the newer antipsychotics or atypicals um so um, so while they didn't have some of the problems that the old antipsychotics have, they did bring in metabolic syndrome and even diabetes were, were risks with some of them uh, in a, in particular. So I had this uh, one young schizophrenic fellow who would fill his, his pockets with wadded paper. He was just so adorable. Anyway, he was overweight and his mom was very careful to take good care of him and uh I suggested that they lower the carbohydrates and she was pretty weight conscious and she wanted to do that as well. And so they both did it. And I think one of the most rewarding things was to see them both feeling happier, healthier, and also having lost the weight they wanted to lose. And, and to me, that was a miracle. So I did Uh, start actually employing it. I also knew that I felt better and I wanted them to feel better. So I started suggesting it. And I think my suggestions have evolved over the last 20 years, although I've only been keto for about 15, but I would say over the last 15 years, these suggestions have evolved to um, to saying, eat a keto breakfast. And actually uh, those of you listening, uh, men's health, if you look it up, something about, why to ditch carbohydrates at breakfast. They outline every single point that I outline for my patients. So if you want to know what the benefit is of even just starting a keto breakfast, uh, look up the article in men's health.
0: That's really good. Wow. That's great. We'll go find that and link that in the show notes. That's awesome. Um, was, was anybody talking about nutrition in your world back then, or did you feel like you were kind of on, on an Island by yourself?
1: Well, one of the the few uh medical schools to have nutrition was ours but ours was i think based on a book that the professors i think they were called the connors had uh published at the time called the new american diet and it really uh and they also demonstrated how much fat there is in various things and yes back then the fat was bad but that's because i had trans fats in it. So trans fat was the, I think the, uh, saturated fat that was causing the heart disease. And so, um, later on, I started looking for people who were talking about it. And it was interesting because I came across this, uh, two articles, uh, but the one that I, that really impacted me, they both did. But the one that really impacted me was had a quote from Dr. David Ludwig at Harvard, and it said, a bowl of cereal is a bowl of sugar. Mm. Let that sink in a bowl of cereal. And we're not talking sweetened cereal. (laughs) A bowl of cereal is a bowl of sugar. Wow. Wow. So so I didn't believe it at first. I mean, it just struck me. It just hit me like a bomb. Um, and, uh, I'm a doctor, I know all these things, how can that be? And so I started looking into the metabolism of, of these, especially highly refined carbohydrates like cereals and lo and behold, yes, a bowl of cereal, a bowl of like corn flakes, by the way, Stanford tested this out on, uh, on continuous glucose monitors and found the same thing amazing, right? A bowl of cereal is a bowl of sugar.
0: Wow. Now, it is. Now keep in mind those two cereals, I we did have like the cheaper versions of those cereals around the house as I was growing up, cornflakes and Cheerios that you're right. They yeah. weren't that sweetened. Do you know how many tablespoons of like straight up table sugar I would put in my bowls of sugar? Like oh, me too, <laughs> two oh, or yeah. three at least. Right. right? <laughs> Crazy. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. So- yeah, and,
1: and yeah. There's a, a Mark Mark S. Gold, MD, and he has a book out uh, also on addictions, food and addictions, and he says that uh, the sugar wipes out your feel good uh, neurotransmitter called dopamine. It wipes it out, so you don't feel rewarded. You feel really down. It's more likely to make you even. In my book this is dr childers speaking i'm not sure what he would say about it but when you when you wipe out dopamine you're at risk for depression and uh yeah these highly refined carbohydrates that act as sugar and then the sugar's proper oh big problem oh and fructose is not off the hook even though it doesn't raise your blood sugar in your bloodstream it can from what i'm reading cause fatty liver disease so yeah uh like agave nectar is almost pure fructose so so there are a lot of things being sold to us as healthy, including these cereals they're not.
0: Mm. Wow. Okay. So I want to take a bit of a deep dive, but maybe we should do like a a high level. You, you you let's let's go over like, okay, you eat sugar, how does it get in the body? How does the body respond? Um, and then and then the measuring. We talked about continuous glucose monitoring. Let's talk a little bit about that and, and what we're looking at when we, you know, start using a continuous glucose monitor or CGM for short.
1: Okay. So if you put on your continuous glucose monitor, and by the way, these are available now for athletes over the counter. So if you, if you go through the web, you can find them, okay? So if you're really eager to te- give this a test drive, do. It, it's an eye-opener. Um, anyway, so the continuous glucose monitor is actually monitoring what we call interstitial fluid, uh, which is just under your skin. And the time from the bloodstream, the time in which the uh, food gets to your bloodstream as glucose to the interstitial monitor is uh, probably 15 to 20 minutes. So don't expect, if you do a finger prick and you look at your glucose monitor, don't expect them to match because they won't. It'll take a few minutes before the tissue catches up. But other than that, it's almost the same. Um, What's great is once this little gadget is embedded in your skin, it is uh, taking samples like a Dexcom every five minutes. I think this six is also every five minutes, excuse me. And the uh, Abbott Freestyle Libre Pro or Freestyle Libre, which is the one that's most available to athletes, I believe it's every 15 minutes. In any case, you get to see a trend. It actually produces a graph and you can see how rapidly your glucose rises when you eat something and you can see which foods agree with you and which foods don't. It is really an eye-opener. I recommended that everyone try it for at least two weeks. And that's the Abbott usually lasts about two weeks. So you can get a lot, a lot of knowledge. I used to give them to my patients for free. And I tell you what, they were really educated within two weeks. I'd see them after one week. We'd look at their graphs. We'd make adjustments. And then I'd see them the next week, and we'd see how much improved those were crazy good um anyway so i got into those and i started experimenting and um having read what ludwig said about the cornflakes i went ahead and i used unsweetened cheerios and i think if i recall it it just wrecked ratcheted up my blood sugar huge spike Uh, it shouldn't go higher than 140 after a meal. This went up to like 176, 178, it was high, high and rapid. When it came back down again, I think one of the most surprising parts of that particular experiment is that I could not get satisfied with food after that for a couple of days. And my patients and some of my associates who have done this have experienced that as well. It was like two-fisted eating and you still weren't satisfied. And it didn't matter that you were eating keto. Usually like bacon and eggs, that's very filling. I could eat bacon and eggs and I could eat a whole bunch of stuff on top of that because something had happened to my, I guess you could call it Your, your appetite thermostat or whatever. Um, anyway, and I, I talked to uh, Dr. Ludwig about this eventually. And he said, well, he said, it's part of addiction. He said, it's deep inside your brain and it's part of addiction. That's what happened to you. And that's why you should never eat Cheerios again. Can, wow! Right?
0: Wow, that's crazy. Well, I'm looking at yeah. the graph that you sent me right now. It, mm-hmm. it did spike super high and come down really it low. Did. For the listener, if you get a chance, there's a movie called Fat Fiction that came out not too long ago, maybe like a year and a half ago, uh, by Jen Eisenhart, who uh, made the movie, and they they use continuous glucose monitors. And they do one week where they take three, just kind of random people and they put them on a low carbohydrate, higher fat diet. And these people are like, oh, you know, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty, pretty full. I don't need to snack as much. This is great. I'm eating eggs. They're really delicious. They do that for one week. And then they do another week where they go back to eating the same stuff that they were before. And like, if you've ever gone through this, you'll watch that and think like, oh my goodness, these guys, what they have coming this next week is going to be absolute misery. They are going to hate their lives going back to eating what they were. And sure enough, their blood sugar was swinging all over the place up and down everywhere. And they were totally miserable. Of course they would self correct and choose the foods that made them feel really full, which then in turn kept their blood sugar really stable. Um, you sent me a few other graphs that I'd love to talk about that the Snickers graph and the Cheerios cream graph. Um, those are very interesting. Um, can you tell us about those?
1: Okay. So, uh, so my uh, blood sugar, and you probably know more about it because you have the graph in front of you, was up in the 170s. I thought it was in the late 170s. But when I did the Snickers, uh, you know, they have that advertisement. It's so satisfying. Well, apparently so. Uh, I didn't have that reaction that I had to the Cheerios. And then the other thing is it only went up to 136, wow. which is below the 140 threshold, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. and
1: so. Uh, I had to chuckle because I I'm sure it's not the breakfast of champions, but, but there it is, <laughs> you know, it's actually more modified. And then I thought about the French. I thought, Oh, they must be laughing at us now because all of their desserts are rich in cream. Right. Yeah. And they have ruse and the, and all of these buttery sauces, you know, and uh, actually uh, when I at, took away the skim milk, from the Cheerios, so the original Cheerios graph you're looking at is one cup of Cheerios plus half cup of skim, skim milk, and then what I did is I took away the skim milk, which is 50 calories, and supplemented it with or substituted it with 50 calories of heavy cream, and uh, that was really hard to choke down, but I did it for science, just like I ate the Snicker bars <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, so uh, but that was amazing because it kind of hovered under a hundred and uh and it was the same darn cup of Cheerios. interestingly enough stanford actually did uh experiments with continuous glucose monitors and if you if you uh key in stanford and blame it on the cornflakes and and the the phrase blame it on the cornflakes in in uh quotes i think you'll find it the report on that study, and what they found is that normal subjects, people that were considered healthy, had glucose spikes to cornflakes that were just like diabetes.
0: Wow, that's crazy!
1: Yeah, crazy. Wow. So, so it's so interesting that in terms of blood sugar, uh, the the breakfasts that we considered healthy are actually are worse. Then two Snicker, 2 fun-sized Snickers bars, That's which crazy. is what I'd used in the other experiment. Wow. Two size Snickers
0: bars. Yeah. Wow. I never thought I would say. I think I might reach out to Snickers to see if they want to be a show sponsor. I never, never considered that. <laughs> <laughs> just lost Kellogg's. Well, right. Just lost Kellogg's. So we might insane. as well go for Snickers. <laughs> So this is amazing. (laughs) So, so what I would gather from this and looking at all of this, seeing the big spike with the cornflakes, and then seeing this all leveled out, you know, I, I'm generally trying to get people to get sugar out of their diets, which obviously I I still think is a good thing. But if you're at least having the sugar with the fat, is that kind of what we learn from this information that, that, yeah, it's not great to have sugar, but if you're going to have it with a fat and that can mellow things out in the body. You
1: know, I think that's, Probably a safe thing to say. Now, there are people who would argue with me, and they may be totally correct. There may be some metabolics behind what happens in that case with that combination. So, uh, you know, so I don't, I think in terms of if you were diabetic and all you had was cornflakes, I would cover it in heavy whipping cream. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so, all right but, and you'll be very satisfied for a long time, but, but, uh, the best plan is to avoid highly refined carbohydrates altogether. Yeah, That is the best.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stick with my eggs. I think (laughs) there's another graph. There's another graph that you sent, um, that shows, um, it looks like cocaine. I'm not sure what exactly it's measuring, but it sure looks like a sugar curve to me
1: it does doesn't it yeah so so in in medicine a lot of times we say that if the drug has a trajectory of a straight up and straight down and it's down in a shorter period of time it's more likely to you're more likely to have withdrawal effects from that drug after a time once your body has become accustomed to it then uh you're more likely to feel like you're in withdrawal when you stop that drug and we see that a lot in psychiatry with, uh, short acting drugs. So like a short acting, uh, uh, benzodiazepine is going to give you more rapid uh, addiction than a longer acting one. Although the longer acting one will eventually, yes, you will become, uh, basically habituated to it and you will need it after a while. And it probably won't do you much good. Um, so, that's just a class of drugs that has those characters but like crack cocaine uh methamphetamine all of these things are quick and short and they they drop in your blood system unless you really smoke a lot of it um but anyway they have shorter timelines higher ups and downs um and it's interesting to me that These uh, glucose curves, where they're straight up and straight down, seem to also be more addictive, although the physiology uh, is different. Anyway, so just interesting to me. So So if you were to, yes, so you wouldn't be as addicted to, say, uh, Cheerios with heavy cream as you would be over time Cheerios and skim milk. You would have to have that or something else to replace it pretty shortly after you ate it. And can you imagine what it's like for kids who are eating sugary cereals, like Fruit Loops, what they must be like to manage in a classroom at about 10 in the morning? Oh, MG. Right. So, um, actually, uh, one of Emily's friends, uh, was co is a co-parent. And she said, as soon as I get the kids in my house, I fill them up with bacon and eggs. And she goes, and we have a good day. <laughs>
0: Wow. I love that. Yeah. I mean, so, so in your opinion, you know, it certainly seems like a lot of these psychiatric diseases are becoming a lot more common. We see a lot more anxiety, depression, ADD, ADHD, that kind of stuff. Do you think a large portion of that is really lifestyle dependent and can be managed through lifestyle?
1: Well, ADHD covers a pretty broad territory that I can't really go all into, but sometimes it includes early head injury, uh, malnutrition early on, iron deficiency early on, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can, can lead to some cognitive changes that are permanent in kids. However... Uh, It was shown in in Great Britain, there was a great study, wonderful study, using food colorings. And what they found is kids that didn't even have ADD looked like they had ADD after they ate these food colorings.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: So I would say uh, processed food in general, uh, any highly processed food, any food that doesn't look like where it came from, uh, is suspect for causing uh, ADD ADHD ADHD type symptoms and I'm working on a textbook chapter 2 that um that says at least a third of people who are depressed probably more probably more like a half or more um have uh what we call metabolic syndrome or signs and symptoms of metabolic syndrome uh as well so is this cause and effect is this just an association um, My thought is, you know, my bias is that it is cause and effect Um, because metabolic syndrome uh, has a lot to do with the way that we uh, make use of foods for energy. And when you're insulin resistant, it's very difficult to make proper use of the foods that you're eating to get energy. And it even changes the way that insulin is used in the brain, which is different than the way it's used in the body. Um, That is why, for example, uh, Alzheimer's disease, right? Um, We see a lot of Alzheimer's disease in people who have prediabetes or diabetes. So we think what's happening there is that the brain is not utilizing glucose the way it should something has happened in the metabolism of the brain and that is why there's so many areas that are not metabolizing properly and makes it very difficult for that person to think and reason however when we give them ketones as an alternative fuel they have a they can use their brain somewhat better i don't think we've got all this puzzled out but we do know that ketones are a good thing and you can use exogenous ketones or you can actually get the person into ketosis, but either way, uh, they do do better. Wow. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I do think that, uh, depression often precedes Alzheimer's and we have a lot of people with, uh, metabolic syndrome, Actually, very interesting study. Uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill took a look at the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey and found that only 12% of the thousands of Americans tested had no signs or symptoms of metabolic syndrome. (laughs) They were metabolically... Crazy. Seriously.
0: And that was a few years (laughs) ago. I don't think we've gone the right direction since that study was even done
1: no we haven't um but you know i think there's a grassroots movement i think there it's a grassroots movement among mds who are figuring this out trust me uh job satisfaction when you start incorporating getting the carbs down zooms uh i am hearing from like gary Fetke and and also read about another orthopedic surgeon i had the same experience same experience and these are anecdotals so this is not a scientific study but what they're saying is that if they get these people their their knee patients off of carbs they can actually delay postpone uh, knee surgeries because the pain is not as much of a problem anymore uh, this is really important information for all of us especially since chronic pain is a thing so many americans suffer from that Mm. I have a condition that that is, is marked by chronic pain. And I think the reason I led a charmed life with it, the Ehlers-Danlos is because I am so low on carbs.
0: Wow. I mean, and that's kind of the work you've done around congenital pain disorder. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I've done very little work, to be very frank and candid, uh, to date, although what I do in the future, I don't know, but with uh, chronic pain disorders, but I do have a lot of patients in my practice who have chronic pain, and always, I try to get them to eat that keto breakfast, eat that keto breakfast, because the keto breakfast, what it does is it clears up a lot of brain fog. It, it satisfies them. They're not thinking about their next meal for the next four or five hours. Um, yeah, and and it's just, uh, and it is an anti-inflammatory approach. Although if you eat a lot of carbs the rest of the day, I'm not sure that's going to help. Uh, but they have more energy. They say they have more energy. And they actually, a lot of them start losing weight just on a keto breakfast. So when that becomes rewarding, that's when people are more motivated to move ahead with it. Mm -hmm. And so I have some patients who've gone full on keto and, uh, they, they say their pain is much reduced.
0: Wow. Yeah. I definitely noticed that, um, anecdotally with some of my clients as well. It's, it's just really motivating to stay on when you feel so great. Why would you not (laughs) feel great? Like it's, it's not that easy. The food tastes good, totally flips your taste buds. Um, I have to ask you, how did you get so interested in sleep as well?
1: Oh, because I don't see how any psychiatrist can can help a patient who's not getting good sleep. Um, One of the things that's happened with uh, metabolic syndrome in the United States is people are gaining weight and that weight isn't just in the belly. It's also in the tongue. The tongue is a fatty organ and it it blocks the airway. And so people who... uh, and it's, it's like a uh, two-edged sword. What happens with someone who's got a blocked airway is they get fatter, <laughs> they start gaining more weight. And then the more weight they gain, the more blocked their airway is, and they don't get treatment, they're in trouble. And not everyone who has sleep apnea snores. So uh, although snoring is a pretty good sign, I mean, if someone's allowed to snore, they definitely need to be seen. Uh, But I suspect sleep apnea, even in people who report no snoring, and I do find it. Um, Another thing that happens is by and by, it causes more anxiety because it sets you up into fight or flight, and it also leads into depression. And just to put it uh, in perspective, perhaps one in three men has sleep apnea uh, of some degree. And maybe one in five women, although women are hard to diagnose because we have also different kinds of airway problems that often don't get the notice that loud snoring does. Um, So, And because it causes metabolic problems, so there we are, we're back to metabolic disorders, um, and eventually hurts the heart, uh, I'm all about trying to find out how I can get these people asleep. Not only that, but once they do get a restful night's sleep, the brain fog starts to lift. They get there within a year, all of the reversal uh, by getting just a good night's sleep, whether or not you have sleep apnea. uh, It reverses a lot of negative brain changes, things like loss of gray matter uh, that happen when people don't get uh, good sleep for whatever reason. So. Yeah, I mean, uh getting the brain healthy that is my stock and trade. And so I am all about the sleep.
0: Mm. Wow. you mentioned brain fog, you mentioned snoring. What other signs and symptoms might tell somebody that they're not getting enough sleep?
1: I just ask a simple question. When was the last time you felt like getting up after sleeping the next day? Just get up. Get right out of bed, pop out of bed, eager to get out of bed. Um Unless it's terribly cold in the room, you should feel like eager to get out of bed. You should feel restless and and energetic and like, yeah, want to get out of bed.
0: Mm. All right.
1: And uh, also by about three o'clock, especially not, a lot of times they feel low throughout the day. But three o'clock seems to be the witching hour. I think it's no uh, coincidence that uh, that that early afternoon is tea time in Great Britain (laughs) or people here. Maybe they're reaching for a Starbucks or something. Anyway. So uh, that is often a sign that good sleep was not had the night before. The other thing is fine motor skills suffer. People don't type as fast when they uh, haven't slept well. They don't uh, they have more word finding difficulty, et cetera, et cetera. So And I have personal experience with this as well. Having a connective tissue disorder, I'm also very prone to sleep apnea and mine is severe. And if I do not sleep well, I feel like I've been hit by a truck. And that's how I used to feel all the time, but I didn't know it. I thought I was just lazy.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned 3 p.m. I've used this example before in, in seminars and consults with people. I've looked this up. The soda st- the soda store that's down the street from me, you can buy a yeah. bucket of soda for like a few bucks and you can get mm-hmm. syrup pumped into it and everything. If you look on Google, it shows like the hours they're open. It also shows the hours that they're most popular. Guess yeah. what time the soda store is most popular? 3 p- three p.m. <laughs> 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 yep. between yep. three and four. I, and as if, if I'm driving by, if I'm going to the store to grab a few pounds mm-hmm. of meat or something, like the line of cars wraps around the building. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And I've made the argument oh, yeah. that, you know, first of all, probably these people's lunches were not satisfying and filling enough. Maybe they even tried to eat healthy and they had a sandwich or a salad or something, but it wasn't mm-hmm. enough to really cause satiety. So now they need yeah. to pick me up at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool to learn that sleep is probably a big part of that as well. And it's such a spiral too. Like the two will just go hand in hand as you're explaining.
1: Well, remember uh, the the Cheerios story and how it dropped and then I just felt really hungry, right? Mm. Uh, One good way to disrupt your sleep, if if that's what you're after, is to eat a high carbohydrate meal before you go to bed.
0: Hmm. Wow.
1: And what happens is uh, if you're going to go into uh, into a low blood sugar state or a mild low blood sugar state, that will wake you up. Mm,
0: yeah, that makes a lot could of sense.
1: It could be five hours after your meal.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the tips and tricks that you have for people to help them get better sleep?
1: Um, get Start weaning yourself off of ultra-processed foods. It's going to be a trouble. It's going to be hard. You're going to be addicted to it, but wean off. Get rid of one thing a day, just one thing every day, or one thing a week. You know, the weeks will go by and you'll start feeling better and better. Uh, Include protein and fat with every single meal. Make sure that you're getting your protein, the protein you need every day. Look it up. There is a protein calculator online, and it uses guidelines by American Diet Dietetic Association, uh, all kinds of, of different guidelines, World Health Organization. Find out what your minimum and maximum protein requirements are and, and abide by it. Get enough protein every day. It'll make a total difference in the way that you feel. The other thing is the protein and the fat, one of the part of the magic of the of the keto breakfast is the protein and fat in it, let's say bacon and eggs. For the next six hours, protein is releasing glucose. That's why Dr. Childers can be on a ketogenic diet with no carbs even some days. And yet the brain is still functioning, actually better than ever. Thank you very much. Uh, but, uh, yeah. but that's how, how it happens because we can get glucose from protein. It's called gluconeogenesis. We can also get some glucose from fat, and it releases over a period of six hours. So it's like a long acting drug instead of the short acting drug, the, the ups and downs of, uh, of carbohydrates, especially highly refined carbohydrates, which are just a sugar shock. Um, so get off of those foods and you'll just start feeling better. You'll probably have more energy, less brain fog. Uh, you'll just feel better. So try to get away from crackly packaged stuff. Uh, stuff that doesn't really belong on your table. Mm. Um, that That's a huge big deal. Get away from fruit juices. Fruit juices are not your friend. Uh, they they sound healthy, uh, but they're loaded with fructose. They're loaded with glucose. They're not your friend. Um, and they can set your kids up for, uh, for what I have, which I'm a recovering sugar addict. Yeah, for sugar addiction later on. Um, so... Uh, so try to start out right. And if you didn't start out right, start doing an inventory of, of what you're eating. You know, I like Diet Doctor because Diet Doctor shows you where the carbs are, dietdoctor.com. Uh, that's Andreas Infelt's site. He's Swedish. And uh, I think you can get a month's, probably a month of uh, uh, membership for pretty cheap, for zero, I think they still have that on. So it might not even cost you anything, but at least you can find out where the carbs are. And I think if you get a good education, there are probably other sites as well. I'm sure, uh, that can do that for you. But once you know where the carbohydrates are, then you know what to get rid of for your breakfast. Also, if you do a keto breakfast, it will help you throughout the day. It will keep you more satisfied. You won't crave as much. You probably won't eat as many sweets and things during the day. Um, if you get that keto breakfast down, you need to make sure that it's at, if you eat twice a day, it's at least half or more of your calories. If you eat three times a day, it's a third or more of your calories. If you don't eat breakfast, and some people don't, you can make lunch your breakfast, but I would keto down on lunch and then have introduce the carbs at dinner. Just don't forget if you do a keto breakfast, to introduce your carbs at lunch, because if you are not a fat burner, if you have not converted to full-on keto, you may hit the wall by about say three o'clock. <laughs> so um, yeah, but but just making diet uh, more nutritionally dense, even if you don't go full-on keto, which not everyone has to do, uh, make it more nutritionally dense. I, I promise you, uh, you will eat, sleep and play better.
0: Uh, I love that. For the listener, listen to Dr. Ann, go to Diet Doctor. That website is incredible. They have so many amazing resources articles references to other websites who are coming out with new stuff they have full-length movies they've got videos their meal planning application is incredible you can take all kinds of meal plans with different themes from different countries they could be pescatarian vegetarian, meat only like there's so many different options and resources on that website I cannot. Cannot promote them enough. They are amazing. The membership fee—I think you're right. I think you get like a free month, which is ridiculous, and it's less than like ten bucks a month to just to be signed up for it. I've I've been signed up for years because I love it so much as a resource. So I cannot agree with you more. They do such a wonderful, wonderful job. Do you have some of your content over there as well?
1: Yes, actually, one of my lectures is there. It's uh, a Stone Age body, Space Age diet.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's probably where I found you in the first place to begin with several years ago and started following you and your work. So that's really amazing. Oh, Can you tell us a little wow. bit about how you're working with people today?
1: Yes. Um, right now I'm in the midst of, uh, putting together a textbook chapter on mood disorders and diets. So I'm hoping that once that is polished and complete, that it will be a helpful resource. Uh, I do see patients still. I work a couple of days a week uh, seeing patients uh, for 10 hours a day and sometimes uh, a third day if if my schedule fills. And uh, I find it just delightful. I am on Twitter. Uh, so uh, I don't always talk about diet. Sometimes something gets in there that's that's kind of interesting to me and I might kind of wear that subject out. Uh, but I always return back to diet. And if you go to my profile, and that's Ann Childers MD all in one. So it's at Ann Childers MD. If you go to my profile, you can see all of the uh, comparative anatomy uh, graphs and things like that and how I arrived at the idea that we're carnivores. And I'm not the only one. Please don't think I'm some kind of pioneer in there. Uh, there are lots of anthropologists that have also explored this, this concept. Um, but I like the comparative anatomy idea because if you look at the anatomy and, and how animals, other animals process foods uh, compared to human, there's just no doubt. That we aren't really tooled for a plant based diet, although we can make it work if we prepare our plants properly. Mm. Um, so, anyway, anyone who's ever eaten corn knows it can go out the way it came in. Okay. Yeah, totally. So,
0: <laughs> totally.
1: So, yeah, so, so I think that's a really good demo. I remember I used to do slides for Oregon Health and Sciences University at night, uh, and I would be streaking these uh, microplates before I got into mid school. Um, and I would see so much lettuce and stool slides. It was just ridiculous. (laughs) Lots of lettuce anyway, undigested lettuce. So, um, yeah, so I think, I think that, uh, that's kind that's pretty much what I'm doing now to help people with COVID COVID kind of put the smack down on a lot of speaking engagements. So, um, but I, I plan to do a speaking engagement for the, um, Hypoglycemia Support Foundation. uh, I think in June, so mm-hmm. in Seattle.
0: Wow, wow. Well, we will look forward to that. Wow. I know you're really busy. I would not be surprised to see you playing soccer in the World Cup or walking across Asia, <laughs> <or> wrestling <laughs> wrestling bears up there in the Northwest. <laughs> just, just part of life for Doctor. Yeah, we don't have
1: alligators up here,
0: so we just. Have <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, if you had to distill one simple tip for the listener what what would that one thing be? We've covered so many different things. I think I know what you're going to say, but I'd, I'd like to let you say like, what is one simple tip you'd like to leave for the listener from this conversation?
1: If there was one thing that I could have done that would have saved me. Can I have two things, please?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: I, I, would, optimize, I would optimize nutrition and optimize sleep and you will be 75% of the way home. Mm.
0: That is amazing. That's so simple. There's definitely tips and tricks around that. And like you said, you may be, um, you know, in for a little bit of a struggle when you're getting started and that sugar addiction is definitely a real thing, but you're right that getting over to the other side of that, you'll, you'll, you'll not miss sugar whatsoever. Dr. Ann Childers, what a fun conversation. Can you tell the listener one more time where they can go to find you and find your work and connect with you?
1: Oh, yes. So I have a website uh, that has some of my articles Life Balance L-I-F-E-B-A-L-A-N-C-E-N as in Nancy W stands for Northwest LifeBalanceNorthwest.com you can find information and articles there Uh, I'm also on Twitter at the at sign Ann Childers MD uh, and I call myself Dr. Ann there so uh, you can find me there for sure
0: that's amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Dr. Ann, what an amazing and fun and interesting and really funny conversation. I, I love talking to you. I love listening to your content. You have a way of making things really light, even though they're very important and very serious. And I, I really think it will be a grassroots movement, like you said, and reach a lot of people and hopefully help them through better health and not have to suffer through some of the things that you have had to suffer through. So I just want to say thank you so very much. We're so grateful for you and your work. And thank you for taking the time today to be on your show. We are very honored to host you so thank you
1: thank you for this opportunity casey
0: absolutely and this has been another episode of balance body radio So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as as have we Um, As we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual Matt Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing, they're very engaging, and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays, or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.